Everything is fine. What? There's nothing to worry about. Are you okay? I'm fine. Everything is fine. Uh, you don't look fine. I'm calm and relaxed, which is appropriate for the situation because everything is fine. Jason, stop. Tell me what is going on. If anyone asks, my name is Lars Gerhard and I was never here. Also, you haven't seen me. Uh, I don't- Also, you might want to wear this. Wh Why would I need something like- Everything is fine. Ryan? Jason, you're here? Did, did you tell Nate? How everything is fine? Yes, he knows. Right, yes, because everything is fine. Why are you guys shouting? There's no need to shout, Nate. You need to relax. How can I relax when you guys won't tell me what's going on? Who told you something's going on? Has Lars been here? Wait, I thought- No, there's no reason to panic. Everything is fine. Yes, I heard you. Good, because it is- Vitally important that you stay calm! I was calm, but now you guys are freaking me out! Nate, do not freak out! Our lives may depend on it. Our lives? What did you guys do? I, nothing. Nothing happened! Everything, Everything is, is fine! Everything is fine. Uh, I am your host, Lars Gerhardt, and, uh, wait, 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 no, 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 wait, hold on, scratch that. I am your host, Andrew Bailey, and this is Control Structure, episode 57, for March 25th, 2014. That means it's nine months until Christmas. Have you done your shopping yet? So, big week to everyone listening. Uh, before we get started, this show has notes. Please visit thenexus.tv slash cs57 to see them. So, as mentioned, I am your host, Andrew Bailey, and uh, hang on, I need to pull out an Orvis. Hi, Andrew. Hi, how's it going? Pretty good. How are you? Uh, well, I just pulled out an Orvis, so... So you're feeling pretty good? I guess so, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it's been cold here. Like, winter just won't stop. It has been cold. The sun's been out, though. I've been going for my walk at lunchtime, and the sun has been out, so it hasn't been too bad. So, uh, anyways, how's work been going? Eh, okay. Pretty, I got a bug today, pretty, and we're, what's pretty, that? Pretty much the same. Eh, still writing some software. The bug today was kind of one of those things. It's like, pause everything you're doing and work on the bug. Like, oh, okay. <laughs> so just like you're a music player or something what's that like you're a music player or a cd player or something exactly three weeks from now when i go back to what i was doing i'll, I'll pick it up exactly where i left off at and i'll remember everything yeah that just works every time oh yeah so uh anyway uh what i've been doing at work is some uh, address deduplication so, uh, like, one of our clients uh, has a form where you can enter and get coupons, but they want to make sure that there's no duplicate addresses. So, like, for a calendar year, you can only receive, like, a certain number of coupons. So, like, it's pretty much my job to figure out this whole system. And it's outside of our normal uh, e-commerce platform. Like, we actually had to go, I think it was to Liquid Web and uh, get a server. So it's up to me to figure out something in Java, databases and stuff. So you'll be hitting 
the client's database with your your extra software module to cleanse um, the duplicates? Uh, well, we'll be contacting some sort of external service to normalize addresses and uh, like compare them to like what's incoming and what has already been done. Okay. So, like, it's not exactly touching their main systems. This is sort of like something separate that stands in between, uh, like, their storefront and, like, their back-end systems. So, um, and then, uh, you know, I don't really fancy myself as a database architect, and uh, thankfully this is, uh, like, a rather small, limited amount of information. So I'm trying to think it through of what if they introduce like uh, coupons of other values, like different values, or what if suddenly you can have two coupons per year or something. So uh, like I'm trying to keep these in mind, but not go totally overboard. Yes, there's always a balance there between thinking ahead and spending too much time thinking ahead. Yeah, it's the uh, like the architecture astronaut effect, I guess. But uh, I guess that's where like the uh, the really smart guys are disconnected from anything. I am still very much connected to the needs of what's going on. So, um, so yeah, I'm just like sort of in the beginning planning stages of doing that. So. But, uh, hey, life is uh, kind of fun, too. And we'll be talking about fun, like, throughout this podcast, won't we? Yes, we found plenty of good things. So, uh, pinball. You like pinball? Eh, I used to play the, the, the version, version that used to be on the old Windows XP. Yeah. Or XP. Or, I think I remember playing it on Windows I, 2000 as well. Actually, I did, I did play it on ME, now that I think about it, yeah. Yeah. Anyways. I, I, I don't think it was with XP, it was with the two before that. Uh, anyways, I'm talking about real pinball machines. Uh, if you remember last year, I went to a tournament, like last August. Yes, um, I do remember that. Well, turns out there's going to be a Pinberg uh, 2014 coming up this weekend. So, looks like I might uh, stop by there for a couple hours and, you know, drop a few bucks on here. So I, I see. So, this is the same pinball warehouse that was right next door to you? Um, pretty much. Nice. So, or at least it's, like, a block or two out of the way from uh, how I go home every day. So, um, yeah, more pinball, I guess. So... Or this might just be a off weekend and I'll stay home and, like, play Borderlands 2 or something and do nothing. <laughs> but uh, you never know. And uh, they will be uh, uh, streaming things online, uh, courtesy of the equipment from a Kickstarter that I both contributed to and presented on this very podcast. So you can uh, see that on Twitch this weekend. So... Hey, uh, speaking of Kickstarters, how about a Kickstarter? We haven't had a proper one of those in a while. Um, how about uh, Pono Music? Uh, if you, I'm not sure if you followed uh, South by Southwest any. It was uh, uh, no. It's it's sort of like this music festival down in Austin, Texas, but apparently it's sort of been hijacked into more of like a electronics conference thing, or at least okay. called uh, South by Southwest Interactive. And uh, Neil Young, which is a, a really famous musician from a long time ago, he uh, did the keynote at South by Southwest. And doing so, he uh, uh, start, uh, pretty much 
talked about this Kickstarter here that he was doing, and uh, he apparently launched it at the conference there. And uh, what this is, uh, Pono Music, is a portable player and a store to get and play high-fidelity music. And we're talking about uh, music that's, you know, way more, uh, has way more definition to it than, uh, than a CD. Uh, for instance, a CD has a sampling rate of 44,100 hertz, and it's a 16-bit, uh, whereas uh, Pono Music is uh, looking for formats upwards of 192 kilohertz at 24-bit. So this is sort of like, this is not exactly uh, going from SD to HD. This is more like going from SD, like standard definition, to 4K. This is on that sort of order of magnitude. So, so what is the difference between this and, say, like a normal MP3 player or an iPhone? Are they not capable of outputting music at that quality, even if they do have the file, that quality on them? Uh, depends on the device, but uh, the problem that Neil Young has is that uh, MP3, like MP3s, in order to keep, to squash that file down so small that the file is a facsimile of the original sound. In other words, it takes out some of the uh, sound from the original in order to squish it down that far. So uh, Pono Music here will distribute uh, music in a lossless format. So we're talking about stuffing something into a zip file and getting back the exact same data that you put into it, whereas an MP3 is not like that. So, in other words, if you uh, take an MP3, uh, play it, and then compress what's played back, you do that cycle like a hundred times, the sound will be crap. But if you put something in a zip file, take it out, put it in a zip file, take it out, do that a hundred times, it'll be the exact same thing. So that's the kind of idea that uh, Pono Music is doing. It's the exact same sound. It's the highest fidelity. It's what what's supposed to be uh, the way it's meant to be played. If I can hijack off of Nvidia for a second, uh, so. <laughs> so so if these are larger files since they're the full full uh, quality, right? Does that is it just a Wi-Fi enabled device, or does he have other plans to deliver the the data? Uh, at this point, it looks like it's going to be a USB uh, player. Um, and it doesn't look like it'll be streaming either. So it'll be more like a traditional music store. So I guess it would sort of like be like the old iTunes model. So like you pay for music, you download it, and then you put it on your iPod. Except at this point, it'll be the Pono player. So uh, I have... Uh, uh, went ahead and pledged three hundred dollars, so like uh, for the uh, black player, and uh, you can uh, drop four hundred dollars for a signature series, where you can you know pick from one of a dozen or so musicians that I really am not familiar with, uh, although I have heard their names at least. So uh, looks like the player itself will be a touchscreen device, and it even uh, has. I think it's about halfway down the page, like a chart of uh, like how much fidelity a MP3 has versus a CD versus what they intend to put on their store.
now for a uh, lol Facebook. <laughs> so, are you familiar with Oculus VR? Uh, faintly. From what I understand, there is some sort of a virtual rea- reality device. Yeah, uh, they uh, they're uh, currently developing the Oculus Rift which is, you know, a virtual reality headset that uh, essentially is like a, looks like a huge pair of goggles on your head. And, uh, you know, it's supposed to enable like a more immersive 3D uh, view on things, uh, gaming mostly. But it looks like Facebook will be acquiring them for two Instagrams, which is sort of funny because like there's, you know, it projects an image of two eyes, you know, on its screen. <laughs> So, so you know, it's not one Instagram, there's two. It's right beside each other, one for each eye. You know, if if people go forwards and measure things in Instagrams on the internet from here forth, I bet they're going to regret that they sold it for so little amount of money. They're like, we could have gotten so much more for that. <laughs> well, well, or realize that they paid way too much for it. <laughs> that could be too. So... so- so I wonder what it's kind of odd that Facebook is going after after a piece of hardware versus more software because I mean Facebook games are pretty shallow I mean you dig your farm and your cow you milk your cow and right. then it's just kind of boring yeah I mean I mean why does why do everyone still ask can it play crisis when that's like a I don't know a seven-year-old game now when it can play, when this new computer can play Farmville perfectly fine. I know. <laughs> so, but, uh, yeah, if this was the 90s, people would say, oh yeah, Facebook bought them because they want to, you know, enable their users to sit around in virtual chat rooms with their friends. But I don't think that's quite what they're going for with this. Me neither. Um, and like, you know, the Oculus Rift is a display device. And, you know, it's not a full-blown platform like, say, iPhone, iPad, Android. You know, it, it the Rift needs to be connected to something that processes and, you know, figures out what pretty image to display. Or, in this case, what two pretty images to display. So, so, so this would really be the first piece of hardware that I'm aware of Facebook doing anything with. Um... I'm not sure. There there might have been a Facebook phone before, but I think that might have been branded from someone else's uh, hardware. But it's uh, interesting to keep an eye or two on. Um, so, you play Minecraft, right? I do play Minecraft. So, uh, Notch uh, just uh, tweeted out today, uh, We were in talks about maybe bringing a version of Minecraft to Oculus. I just canceled that deal. Facebook creeps me out. <laughs> so, yeah, good going. That, so That would have been really fun. I, I, I could see that running around in your, your world like that and mining and stuff and hearing the creeper behind you and turning around and just seeing this creeper. Right. So, I mean, so, well, I don't, uh, I don't play Minecraft. Because I'm one of those bastards who say if it's not on Steam, I won't buy it. Um, but I'm only like that when talking about Minecraft. Everything else, that's not the answer to. So, but, uh, hey, remember Java? I do remember Java. 
So the JDK version 8 has just been released. So with all the uh, things that we were expecting from it, like uh, Lambda expressions and other kind of, uh, uh, let's see, it's like first class function type things. So really, you guys finally have Lambda. (laughs) So, yeah. Lambda's really nice. So And uh, tons of other uh, like little fixes and whatnot. So this is an upgrade to the underlying platform. So um, come to think of it, my uh, server uh, is, uh, you know, running uh, the JDK 7, but uh, Java EE 6. Even though Java EE 7 has come out, the uh, server for it is absolute crap. So, so do you think the the Java eight server will be any better? Or? Um, that really hasn't the specification for that has not come out yet. Although, in just saying that, I realized that Wildfly eight has come out, uh, but I haven't really touched that yet. I really haven't been programming much uh, on my own outside of work for like a few months now. Hey, speaking about things that end in eight, and it's not Windows eight, but NetBeans eight. This uh, is to help you along in your Java 8 text adventures. Now, now Net, NetBeans 8, I was actually more excited to hear about a new version of NetBeans than a new version of Java, because I used to use NetBeans and thought it was pretty nice. Really? Yes. Any particular reason you liked it? I, I remember it was, it seemed easier to use than Eclipse at the time anyways, and I think I was using some sort of a unit testing framework within it that worked pretty well. I forget what it was. But I remember writing unit tests in Java and running them in the NetBeans and being like, oh, this is pretty nice. That was that was a few years back. Um, to me, it seems like NetBeans is a little less bloated than Eclipse, and uh, it's a little bit lighter on the system resources. Um, I think the feature that I liked most is its code completion is way better than Eclipse. I do remember that. I remember the code completion was nicer, but you still had to, you had to have to like hit tab. Wait, you have to like tab and then space or something stupid like that. Whereas Visual Studio, you just like I think it's tab or it's some key. It's like one key. I think Whereas it might. Net- I think it might be Control Space or something. But uh, for, for, for NetBeans, yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, I'm, and and I think the uh, like the most. It was two points, really. Number one, it looked at the return type. So, like, it realized that, oh, you're assigning whatever's coming out of this method into a string. So I'm going to show you the methods that return string first. And so it was like, okay, I want that one. Then it figured out, you know, the types for the, uh, like, the parameters. It's like, okay, this needs an integer and, like, this other, like, specified object. And it'll look into your local scope of your method and find, oh, you probably mean this integer and this object over here. So it's it really had a nice psychic connection going on there. So, and uh, for those of you wondering, uh, the reference there about text adventures, uh, Ars Technica, uh, quite a while ago, reviewed Visual Studio 2010 as a text adventure game which I may have mentioned uh, before on this podcast, but uh, it seemed like you really liked that. It, it, it was pretty good. My, my favorite was, they said, when it comes to hunting down the monsters within the dragon, within the dungeon, you're really on your own. But the experience can also be rich and rewarding. Uh, then, so, then be- like, it, it goes 
it goes through saying, you know, uh, Visual Studio uh, makes you, you know, helps you compose spells to create a, an entire dungeon. And then, like, you go through and you have to fight various monsters called bugs inside. And, you know, in certain situations, it, it allows you to write traps that the player, which is you, uh, well, can accidentally wander into, and at worst, it can destroy the entire dungeon. <laughs> then there's even achievements now for Visual Studio. I think this has been out for a while. Oh, yeah. I I've, I think I heard about them a while back, but I never did anything with them. But I e- emailed myself the link, so maybe I'll install it at work and see how many achievements I can get. <laughs> 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 it can make for a good laugh. And then here's, here's the quote. It said, as a PC gamer, it's nice to see Microsoft skipping the Xbox 360 for once and shipping a PC exclusive. Mm-hmm. Definitely. You're not going to find this on an Xbox. No. Although I hear you can uh, compose spells that will work on Xbox. You got to uh, do the right incantations for that. Aha. Uh-huh. Uh, but, uh, hey, speaking about Microsoft, uh, today, just this afternoon, in fact, I heard word that in an unprecedented move, Microsoft has released the source code for MS-DOS 1.1 and 2.0, along with Word for Windows 1.1a. So they're doing this not necessarily in the spirit of open source, as in Linux open source, but in the context of the Computer History Museum. Uh, A while back... I remember that uh, Adobe released the source code for Photoshop 1.0 that uh, was released for, like, the original Mac, like, in the 80s. Ah. Uh-huh. And uh, only supported black and white. <laughs> wow. So, so um, it looks like you really dug into this here. Yes. So I went through some of the, the comments in the code that, I, that seemed interesting. So in the DOS, I found one that said, in case... Int 24H returns, it shouldn't, in parentheses. And there's another one that says, if either say new disk, then it's so. Then here is why Windows is not strongly typed for file names. There's a comment in there, convert to uppercase. And in that is a section of file IO and the such. And I think that is about the area of why Windows is strongly typed. Not, is not strongly case sent. Case, there you go. Strongly cased for filings and why Linux is better. And then I, I went through the, the word for Windows a little bit, not as much. And I found one interesting comment. It says, couldn't open the clipboard, wipe out contents and disable undo. A bit harsh, huh? And I also saw donkey in the source code there. It's a, uh, a, uh, basic program. So actually, technically, it was open source beforehand since you could see the source code. But Bill Gates, I guess, wrote Donkey uh, along with three, uh, two other guys. I had never heard of it before, but it looked like an interesting, really, really old game. Let's see. Sort of, uh, or wait, no, that's the port here. I'm looking at the uh, the Wikipedia article here. Yes. It said on the article that the reason it was written was uh, Intel wanted to, to know what it, the DOS system could do so they wrote a program just kind of to, to show off the basics like hey look you can write programs in it basically and so they had a, a basically i think it's a car you're driving down the road and 
every time there's a donkey appears in front of you, you press the space bar and it moves the car to the other lane so you don't hit the poor donkey in the road. So I, I guess actually about 10 years ago or so, they released uh, donkey.net in VB <laughs> where the goal is to actually hit the donkeys. <laughs> so that uh, reminds me of a story that was on this podcast we did. It was, I think it was actually with uh, Chris, but uh, it was, I think it might have been somewhere in Zimbabwe or something like in Africa, uh-huh. that the uh, Google Street View car came up and there was a donkey taking a dust bath in the road. <laughs> and the donkey, you know, eventually got up and walked. And <laughs> so, so someone found this and this was a huge story. And it was like, oh, look, the Google car ran over a donkey. <laughs> <laughs> I got to Google this one. <laughs> so anyway, while you do that, uh, do you remember JavaScript? Uh, or at I least do. the guy who made it, rather? I do not remember the guy who made JavaScript. Okay. But I have used it. Okay. Well, that guy's name is Brendan Ike. So in a rather trippy one-week period back in, I think, 1995, this guy wrote JavaScript, like the language from the ground up. Uh, he is now the CEO of Mozilla. So this is, uh, I'm not sure uh, what the background of the previous CEO was. You found that donkey? Yes, I, I found the donkey. I'll, I'll put in a link because it's good. <laughs> it's like that. <laughs> okay, where do you want the link at? Um, pretty much right there. The donkey. <laughs> okay, yes. <laughs> it's like he looks like he's been hit is what it looks like. So it said uh, the headline is, No donkeys were harmed harmed in the making of Street View. Google denies killing animal after accusations of hit and run in Africa. <laughs> <laughs> sure he is. So I actually looked up, you know, donkeys, and yeah, they do take dust baths. So, um, anyway, so, uh, moving on to Mozilla there. So Brendan Ike is the new CEO and, uh, looks like one of his, uh, challenges will be to grow, uh, Firefox market share and also the, uh, little agreement that, that they have with Google, uh, the current three year agreement for, you know, like being their, the default search engine and also probably the bulk share of their funds comes from Google. So that'll be running out later this year. Really? Google pays Firefox money for yeah. being, huh? Which is interesting since they have Chrome, but maybe they made the deal before they had Chrome. Oh yeah. So now that they have Chrome. It's like not anymore. They, they had that setup going for like 10 years. Okay. And that was like way before Chrome. So like, Hey, you stuck around. We're pretty good friends. And we're good with web standards, so uh, here's even more money for three years. So, And, uh, yeah, I believe this is your article here. Ah, yes. So it seems that on, what, April 8th, when Windows XP is no longer officially supported by Microsoft, that ATMs that use XP, which, according to the article, is 95% of all the ATMs in the world use XP, will no longer have updates to make them secure so you might be using your atm and it could be out of date and have a virus on it so Um, so, but uh what they're saying though in the article is that because of this 
uh, which is a quote, they said that there is some heart burn in the industry over Microsoft's end of support decision. So what they're, they're saying is a lot of these companies are considering going to Linux now because then Linux doesn't just suddenly drop support for stuff. You have like with Ubuntu, you have, you have the versions that are long-term supported uh, for many years and they have a schedule for their support. So in doing this, then they could actually upgrade their hardware and their software at the same time. So uh, are you going to say it? Uh, the thing I say about XP? thing you say about XP. Yeah. Goodbye, XP. <laughs> yes. So, so a- actually, uh, using Linux, though, on non... How do I say that? Like, systems that people interact with, but they don't really see the face of it, for like in commercial applications. Embedded. Embedded, there you go. Embedded. It says that 30% of installed point-of-sale systems at convenience stores and petroleum retailers already are Linux-based. So which, petroleum retailers, I guess I'm that's, assuming that means that your gas station yes, was my fancy, assumption the there. the fancy word for gas station. Exactly. Which, I mean, yeah, you don't see anything. You slide your credit card in and it shows a screen and says X number of gallons or whatnot. Or if it's a fancy gas station, it has a TV screen with the commercials on it. Um, although the... I'd say a more pertinent danger with, uh, you know, with ATMs and stuff is uh, credit card skimmers. So, you know, granted the, you know, the Windows XP that's running it is out of date. But, you know, someone could have come by and put a scanner, like, sort of on top of the scanner that's already there. And yeah. that, you know, reads the uh, credit card information. In that case, it doesn't matter what operating system you have installed anymore. That's, that's a very much an external uh, thing to that. Yes. So. so I guess the interesting question is, is is this ATM really hooked up to the Internet? I mean, why would you have it hooked up to the Internet? Yeah, that's, that's, a, very, that's a very good uh, question there. And just, I mean, it, it could be Windows 3.1 for what you care if it's not hooked up to the Internet as long as it actually can talk with your other systems on your network in some level because right. you have to hit the databases. Um, I mean, or there's an air gap. There could be an air gap. Maybe it uses dial-up sounds across the air gap. <laughs> <laughs> so, hey, you want to talk about games? Sure. Yes, games, games, games. That's pretty much all it's going to be from here on out. So, the day after the last episode of this podcast... The game 2048 showed up on GitHub, and the gameplay is pretty simple. You join two twos to make a four, two fours to make an eight, and so forth, and you build up the powers of two to 2048. And I'm just going to say 2048 from here on out. And, um, see, I, uh, that also caused a little bit of confusion with my mom. I was trying to explain this, and I even gave her the link. And, uh, she's, you know, messing around here. It's like, well, I'm not, sh- I'm not, uh, seeing a 20 or a 48 come up. It's like, <laughs> no, you need to build a single tile to 2048. And she's like, oh. It's like, well, how is that possible? It's like, well, it took me like 20 minutes. And, <laughs> hang on. I didn't know you were so close to the airport. Uh, well, it's not necessarily close to the airport. It's just that the runway is aimed right towards me. Ah. So, um, anyway, so it seemed like uh, the aircraft flyover sort of erased my memory for a second. But, um, yeah, I had to play this about 
three or four times in order to actually win. So, and I sort of have a strategy. I guess you can uh, look up the fringe for that. So, um, and this is on GitHub. So it's been forked like so many times, like so many times. So it includes things like bigger boards, higher numbers, multiple dimensions, AIs, and even multiplayer. So hey. there's... Hey, what? Th- this runs on Linux because it runs on GitHub. That's a very good observation. But, you know, I'm I'm considering, you know, like, you know, this isn't really, you know, GitHub is not really a replacement for Steam, though. But, hey, it's on GitHub, so that's great. It runs on Linux. You know, I forget how the quote went. <laughs> I think I messed it up. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I messed it up, too. Okay, so let me think. Going back. How did we lead into that one? I can't even. I, I I I did something like it's like I'm not. Uh, how did I set it up? Oh yeah, so I mentioned something like uh, you know I'm not exactly intending GitHub to be a replacement for Steam. But GitHub works on Linux. Oh wait, Steam does too. <laughs> yeah, we sort of bungled that up pretty well. I may edit that in post, but. Uh... But uh, so, yeah, this uh, game has pretty much spread almost everywhere. There's a Reddit for it. But then again, there's a Reddit for everything. And I had a belief that it was pretty obscure until I saw the XKCD about it. So so I, I was kind of interested in the, uh, the site itself. It looks like GitHub is hosting the web page has a web page. I didn't even know you could do web page hosting on GitHub. Yeah, I think it's I think it's something called Jekyll or Jekyll. Um, it's like their blog generator or something. Uh-huh. So and it's a uh, .io top level domain. So this is run by hipsters. So I see. Yeah, you can you can tell when it, anything's hipster related because it has a .io at the end of it. So. Um, yeah, so, you know, I was thinking this was pretty obscure because, you know, growing up, uh, you know, nobody in the family except for my Uncle Jim even had a clue about how computers worked and nobody understood how awesome the web was. Uh, so, like, trying to talk to anyone was just an exercise in futility. You know, they always said, it's like, I'm not sure what you're talking about, or at least they claimed that they did. <laughs> and, uh, you know, suddenly I go to one of my aunts and, uh, you know, they're all over Facebook and my uncle there, he's, he was playing Candy Crush or something. So it's like, yeah, it's, it's great that you got to the party 15 years later. <laughs> so I guess that's what you get for growing up in a family that's dominated by, uh, rednecks who live out in the boonies. And if they're not rednecks, they're redneck wannabes. Uh, hi mom, how you doing? So, uh, speaking about 2048. The Wall Street Journal interviewed the creator of this. So apparently he's uh, some guy in Italy. Uh, Gabrielle Cerulli, I think that's how you pronounce it. Um, so he's just uh, you know a programmer living in northern Italy. And he claims that he hasn't even won it. Uh, like actually beaten <laughs> his own game. But this was uh, done like five days after he released it. So... Yeah, and, uh, you know, it talks about, yeah, it's pretty amazing that what I did has been, you know, so well-received and, you know, built upon so many times. In that amount of time, in the five days to have 
that many people go crazy about it. Yes. Oh yeah. Like I remember, you know, seeing all these like multiply and stuff. And it was even last week on, uh, like a article or rather like another fork of this. And I remember a comment saying, uh, uh, like, do we really need another 2048 fork? <laughs> I don't mean to demean anyone or their work, but do we need another one? And I responded to that saying, make 2048 forks, not war. Exactly. <laughs> then you have to merge them all together. So, but uh, let's talk about some uh, some serious uh, gaming. Uh, so um, let's start with uh, the Unity engine. Uh, the Unity Engine 5 has been released, and this is uh, a particular uh, favorite of uh, independent uh, game developers. Um, like, you see this all the time in, uh, like, independent games and whatnot. Uh, it's a really, how should I say, it's a cheap, but it's a pretty good engine for what you get. Uh, apparently, you can create, like, really nice games pretty easily. And it's you know, has a wide uh, platform compatibility. And uh, it's even getting wider because they're adding in WebGL support to this. So uh, according to the, uh, the, the uh, website here, it says, uh, In Unity 5, we give you physically-based shaders, real-time global illumination across high-end mobile, desktop, and consoles. Uh, awesome audio, 64-bit editor, and a few other things. So, so what, what does the engine... I guess I'm trying to envision what the high-level API would look like for the engine. Um, I really haven't played around with uh, game engines that much, but you know they pretty much provide the uh, the boilerplate code or the framework, if you will, uh, for like all the hardware and stuff. So in other words, like you give it this 3D model and say this is what the world looks like, and you know it gives you like a landscape, trees, whatever. And this is what the character looks like, and these are the animations. So it uh, does the grunt work of applying all that to you. You pretty much have to write out the uh, like the uh, the uh, the game model, the game world, and how that's supposed to be, rather than worrying about you know how do I optimize the graphics draw or uh, like how do I play a sound or something. So you get the idea there. Uh, basically, I was still trying to browse their website and get a better feel for it. So yeah, this is like pretty much like a like a .NET framework, but for games, and it, and, it, and it will do a lot more for you. So oh, wait, wait, does Portal use it? Uh, no, Portal does not use a Unity. Okay. Portal uses the Source engine. Okay, because uh, I, I was going through the video, and one of the screens almost looked like Portal, but now that I re rewind the video back, it wasn't Portal. So it looks pretty slick. It does. Um. Let's see, but not to be outdone, uh, Epic Games has released Unreal Engine 4. And uh, this uh, engine has been sort of teased in technology demos, and I think I might have talked about it earlier, like a few months ago. Um, but the Unreal Engine 3 has powered so many games in the past pff, probably 10 years, I think. It's been out for 10 years now. Um, like, especially in the past five years, if it's a uh, really... Uh, AAA, uh, developed, uh, first person shooter. It's probably based on Unreal 3. And, uh, you know, for what it is, it's pretty great. It looks good. Um, so they're upping everything and they're releasing Unreal Engine 4. 
and you can get the entire engine, play around with it, receive updates, and even get the source code for this for $19 a month. And if you make something with it, uh, they only ask 5% of the selling price of anything that you make with it. Now that makes things pretty interesting, because that means a common person that doesn't know very much could uh, try it out for the, what, the $20 and maybe possibly decide they like it and actually make a game out of it. So uh, people are speculating that uh, the reason that they're doing this is because Unity is taking their cake. Um, you know, Epic Games hasn't really released a really good game in quite a while. Um, it seems that most of their money probably comes from the Unreal Engine uh, licenses. Uh, so they're, you know, they're realizing that their cake is being stolen. So they're really upping their game with this. So with this, uh, Unreal Engine uh, now belongs into that weird intersection of being open source, but not being free. If you can, uh, like, imagine that for a moment. So we have all kinds of crazy stuff happening. Microsoft opening up DOS to open source. And we have this. So uh, also not to be outdone, Crytek, uh, which is the vendor of another uh, really fancy-smancy uh, pretty engine, uh, called the uh, Cry Engine has created a new market of uh, engine as a service by making their engine subscription based as well, and it will be uh, nine dollars and ninety cents or nine euro point ninety whatever cents are over there, uh, starting in May. So they they haven't really mentioned uh, whether there will be source code access with this, uh, but yeah, uh, looks like games are really going to get prettier. And I can't wait for the 2048 port. So. <laughs> so so, the interesting thing is with the Unreal Engine, since it's on, they, I was looking at the site, they, they just put it on GitHub as a private repository. So when you get access, you just get the repository. Yeah. So that means even if there's something you didn't like or you thought you could do better, perhaps maybe you could change it and, and do a, a, a poly quest back to the company and perhaps get a feature put in. Right. So uh, both of these uh, engines, uh, both the Unreal and the Cry engine, uh, before you know had you know licenses of thousands, maybe millions of dollars. Uh, especially source code, you really had to be rich in order to get the Unreal source. So this is uh, definitely uh, changing the game. Yes. So you know again. Um, sort of in the, you know, the next generation of systems with the Xbox One and the PS4. Um, both companies are more open, uh, especially the PlayStation is more open to independent gaming, uh, these days. And, uh, you know, this will definitely help, you know, make games that definitely look more on par with, you know, better funded games. So the interesting thing is, if you think about what they'd be getting on revenue from a big corporation uh, versus, you know, suddenly they're just paying 19 a month, which would be a drop in the bucket for a big corporation. They must be assuming that a lot of people who normally wouldn't do stuff with their code is going to pay the $19 a month. Right. So, you know, you know, definitely this lowers the barrier to entry by several magnitudes. Yes. So, you know, if you or me had the hunch of, hey, I wonder what a game engine looks like. Well, for 20 bucks, you can. Exactly. So, um, and you can even terminate your subscription 
and, you know, like, only subscribe for a month to get the source code, but you would not get the updates, but you still have to pay them any royalties from your game. So it would be enough you could, if you wanted for your own private use, just to play around with it and see right. how it works, you could just get it for that. So, and also news about the CryEngine, it now supports Linux. So I hey, think, there you go. Yeah. So, but uh, what will all these engines use? Um, that's a good question. And uh, as we uh, sort of poked at last time, uh, DirectX 12, it was announced, and as suspected, uh, Direct3D 12 will reduce the overhead for uh, graphics drawing calls, and it will improve threaded performance, uh, similar to what Mantle is supposed to do. And there's a blog post explaining it all, and they looked like they ported 3D Mark to it, and they did some benchmarks. And it looks like the CPU overhead has been reduced by about half. So on back when we were in the fringe talking about the the, sh- the shaders and the uh, p- what what are they called the pipe pipelines? Yeah, I was I was reading in the article they were saying that some of the performance improvements that they got was because they updated their software to use the the pipeline type of structuring versus the older type. So it was more of a hardware update. It's like now we have different hardware. So that was where they were getting most of their performance from, it sounded like. Right. So um, I'm not sure if this will be backwards compatible, if at all. I would not expect it to be. It, it didn't sound like it from what they were talking. So, you know, just because you installed the Direct3D uh, 12, you know, stuff doesn't mean that, you know, your DirectX 9 stuff gets faster. But at this point, pretty much everything on DirectX 9 is pretty fast as it is on modern hardware. Yeah. So, no uh, no lost pixels there, I guess. <laughs> but hey, you don't even need to wait for a DirectX 12, uh, which will be out, I think they said, around holiday 2015. So, expect uh, like hardware and games to be available in two years. Or, yeah, two years, yeah, 2016 it would be. Uh, but you don't need to wait that long. The three GPU vendors of the apocalypse, uh, that is NVIDIA, AMD, and Intel, uh, got together and presented how you can be more efficient using OpenGL today. And you can get performance improvements of 7 to 15 times faster. And they pretty much go over, you know, how you would, uh, you know, invoke the API and what parameters and other sort of juicy techniques that even fly over my head. Uh, but I still find this a little bit interesting. So it looks like they uh, did this at the uh, Steam Dev Days, uh, which, you know, of course, as you know, they're very involved with Linux, and that only uses OpenGL. So uh, it's, it's great that uh, hardware vendors are coming together and saying, hey, this is how things go faster. Yes. So uh, you don't have a PS3, do you? I do not. Okay. The the only gaming system I've ever... M- okay, my family has had, put it that way, that was actually a real gaming system wasn't an Atari. Uh, 2600? I do not know the model number. Let me look up that one. <laughs> 2600. Let's see if that looks like it. Nope, it was a different model. It was a real cheap one because I know they got it for free. They went to some campground and they were giving them away if you went camping there. <laughs> so... <laughs> it was a cheap one in its in its day. Have had River Raid on it and Frogger. Hmm. But uh, anyways, 
it looks like there is a uh, GitHub repository uh, called RPCS3. Uh, this is a PS3 emulator and debugger. It can't really do much right now, and I can't imagine how bad the thread synchronization issues must be. So, because the uh, the PS3 CPU is essentially a eight-threaded processor, okay, uh, with like a Nvidia chip from like seven years ago. So I'm trying to understand. So the original code was in in what uh, some other? It was, it was for the PS3. What was it an assembly, or how was it originally I, written? Well, uh, like this code right here. Or PS3 stuff. I was trying to get a sense of it. You have the code right here because some of it in the one comment I I opened up it says start porting to GNU compiler. Oh, it was almost like they were. Maybe I misunderstood the comment though. I I I took it to mean that they were porting it from some other language, but maybe I'm wrong. So I I I think it's just a different compiler is all they were doing there. Yeah, and it sort of has to be emulated because the uh, that eight threaded. That eight-core processor is also a PowerPC processor, as opposed to an x86. Really, I didn't know they used the PowerPCs in those. Huh. Well, it's technically called the Cell Broadband Processor, but it's a PowerPC derivative. Okay. So, if you ever uh, wondered where all of the uh, PowerPC CPUs went after they uh, went out of the Max, well, they went into 360, PS3, and Wii. I see. So. And if you're confused on the terminology, you know, some people have started to refer to the Xbox One and the PS4 as current gen. I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to say next gen consoles, and that's what I'll be referring to. And I'll be saying this for like another five years. So you will call the old generation the next gen? Um, no. When the uh, updated consoles like the PS5 and the Xbox whatever, then I'll be calling that the next generation when that comes out. Okay, makes sense. So, like, I consider my terminology a little bit dated. We have had some podcast feedback from last time. Uh, Ryan wrote in, and uh, he said that Clear Sans looks nice. Uh, that's the font that Intel put out. Uh, but uh, Ryan fears that we'll have the same problem as Open Sans: overuse and then being shoved in places where it doesn't belong. Maybe the Intel nest will ward it. But uh, personally, I think that as a heading font like Google uses, the thin version of Open Sans looks like a travesty. It's so ugly. So, like the uh, the Google login page, like one account, all of Google. Yes. That you know, like how it's used there. That's ugly. That's bad. It looks like squiggles, like ugly squiggles, like a four-year-old would. Because I never noticed that much. Let me look at it once more. Okay, so one account, all Google. That's what you're looking at. Yeah. I don't know. It doesn't look that bad to me. So, 
Uh, Ryan appreciates the efforts on uh, Ma's JPEG. I always wanted to crunch the album art I was using for the Nexus, but there weren't great tools for doing it when they were looking around. And, uh, you know, I say that uh, it would be awesome if browsers supported WebP or JPEG XR instead, but this might be good enough with the uh, Mozilla trying to wring out the extra efficiency from JPEG encoders. Um, so apparently Ryan's old former school district uh, uses Windows XP in their lab. He made a big deal about this on the Gadget Show recently. Uh, those computers will basically be dead on April 8th. Not that they won't work, it's just that they will be unable to continuously work in the future from then. Uh, Matt, uh, the other guy on the Gadget Show, argued against my urgency, but that lab and the thousands of computers that in the district that run XP will cripple many things, from student work to state testing. And uh, also a bunch of other things, like websites. Uh, like, for instance, the Windows Azure uh, like management panel, uh, Trello, GitHub, and Gmail, just to name a few. And this article here points out that, uh, you know, unless you're living in China... Uh, like the usage of Windows, uh, or rather Internet Explorer 8, uh, is like almost, you know, is declining, ha has already declined. And in China, it's still a sizable fraction, but it's also declining. And surprisingly, Google Chrome is being picked up in usage in China. Why, why is IE so big in China? Uh, this, uh, article author here claims that it's because of the prevalence of pirated, uh, Windows XP copies, and Windows XP only supports, Windows, uh, Windows XP only supports IE8 at maximum. I'm missing why they wouldn't download an open source browser. Because people oh, are lazy. you're saying the IE8 is more prevalent in China. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. I get it now. And, you know, because people are lazy. Yes. So... Uh, Ryan says, since listening to this about the impending doom on XP, those computers in the XP lab I teach for my menial job, out of 30 machines, 8, somehow, uh, that's in quotes there, uh, got a virus that, quote, did something. The tech wiped them, but the entire lab was shut down for the entire day. Uh, he goes on to say, I love pseudo bang bang. I also like ls-la. I guess I don't use many commands, although I made one recently when I went made to the other other server. It basically kills Unity and restarts it. This helps fixes the freezes. So, he also says that my favorite old-ish game was called Moonbase Commander. So, it looks like it was released in 2002, a turn-based strategy. Hmm, I might have to look at that a little bit closer. Uh, he says he bought it in the $10 bargain bin at a local hardware store when he was a kid with allowance. Since it came out in 2002, it would have basically died without re-release. Luckily, Atari was selling off old IP, and this was one of them. So it's back, and maybe there's hope for future development on it. I would not mind paying a similar game for mobile. Also, Fringe 200. It was amazing. And uh, thank you, Ryan. I'm glad you liked it. As mentioned in my post uh, a couple days ago, I looked at the daunting task of gathering clips from the last how many ever fringes there were, and decided to totally fake it instead, using all or most of the tropes I could think of. And uh, have you listened to that yet? I did listen to the fringe. So, uh, did, did you did I you did. Uh, like it? Um, it was good. I didn't catch most of the references of you faking to be 
one of the other ones because I don't listen to the other fringes well, much was, at all. <laughs> yeah, it was uh, it was a conversation between Ryan and Sam, uh, which is uh, the old sort of science guy on the network. Uh, but now he's pretty much a stoner that doesn't talk to anyone. So uh, so thus my uh, rather elongated voice for him. I see. So uh, in the comment uh, about the Atari, he said, luckily Atari was selling off old IP, and this was one of them. What is IP? Uh, intellectual property. Aha, I got it. Makes sense. So that's sort of like the fancy legal word for like a game series or okay. any kind of other idea. So, And, uh, well, if you want to submit some uh, feedback, uh, use the uh, contact form on the nexus.tv. Or if you're looking at the show notes, it's right there under our faces. So, And don't forget that today is International Backup Awareness Day, so back up your stuff. And it uh, looks like I might be getting some 4-terabyte hard drives at some point this year. So that's uh, what I'll be doing at some point. I'm not sure, exactly sure when, but probably when the hard drive prices come down a little more. Ah, you're running out of space. It's... I'm slowly running out. I figure I might have a few more months left. Okay. But, you know, it's... I can see it coming down the road, so... And uh, aside from that, that looks like it's it for uh, this week. So, um, looks like I might be going to that Pinburg uh, thing over the weekend, or I might just be staying home and playing Borderlands all day. So, uh, aside from going to work and figuring out what in the world's, uh, how in the world I should do that coupon deep dupe thing. Sounds like you have fun with that one. That sounds like a good problem. Yeah, it's, uh, definitely a change of, uh, a change of pace and change of environment. I, uh, typically like those, so. So it's um, good to have a big free hand to kind of do what you feel like doing, too. Yeah. So, you know, I think I might have mentioned this to you that at my school, about half of it was Java, about half of it was .NET. Yes. Well, I sort of lied with that. About a quarter of it was .NET, about a quarter of it was Java, and the other half was database design. Oh, so you should be really good at this whole database thing, then. Yeah. But I really haven't uh, been in charge of a database for, well, ever, I guess. I mean, you know, sure, you talked about them a lot in school, and I did okay, Whereas, like, I was talking to my lead dev today about, hey, I came up with the schema, what do you think? And uh, he said that I got a D in database administration. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, don't ask his advice. (laughs) So, um, yeah, I, uh, you know... Of course, I run my uh, my blog, and that you know runs on you know a database that has a schema that's easily five times bigger than what I drew up, uh, at least for this coupon thing. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, it shouldn't be that hard. But the challenge will be because it's on a remote server, I have to do everything through like command line. So this is like a CentOS, uh, probably a virtual server somewhere. And, uh, like, I don't really have much uh, experience using CentOS. It's like the version of Red Hat, but without the support. Okay. I, I recognize that. I just couldn't think what it was, but that, that makes sense. That, why I would have recognized it, because I probably, probably did use it at one point in time in my past. So, but I'm more familiar with a Debian-based environment. But, but if, you're, you're, if you're doing your database building, though, at that point in time, it's going to be just the, you're logging your database and 
standard commands at that point. Yeah, uh, so pretty much the only big change would be a different package manager. Yeah. So. What, yum, I think? Yeah. Yeah, so. that, and then I remember there was a difference in how uh, you get services to start up, like, instead of using that, what, the E... Oh, man, it's been so long. The ETC dot something. There's like a series of folders with numbers in them, I think. Yeah, the uh, dot daemon or something. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, I've I played around with that. I'm okay with it. So um, I, think, I think that and the package manager from the command line are the, the bulk of the differences I remember. Yeah, so... And then, you know, whenever I get this done, it will just be uh, like a cron job that will run once a day. Yeah. So it's not it's not a web server of any sort. So I'm thinking at some point the platform will, like, FTP over files and then, like, schedule it so much that, you know, hopefully it'll be done by this time. Uh, which, you know, it should be. It's only, like, maybe a meg if that. Okay. So, so Yeah. You know, it's, you know, thinking about the technical things, you know, not just the code, but also, you know, keeping in mind the environment it will run in. Uh, that's, you know, pretty much the other half of software development. The whole, like, more than other half of the equation is the actual people who will be using it. Ah, <laughs> uh, this is true. You always have which, to make it. Which they don't really stress much in college, so... Um, but, you know, we've been in the industry for a few years, so we're familiar with that. Yes. So, all right, well, uh, any juicy plans for you? Oh, I want to play with Ruby on Rails some here maybe tomorrow evening, I'm thinking. Get out my book that I have for that and, and continue going through it. I always, I get through maybe a chapter or something, and I put it down for like a week or two. I, like, totally forget why I was at. <laughs> and I open it back up again and try and spend an hour trying to figure out where I was at. And then not much time then getting back into it. But I, I like it. That was fun. Okay. So, uh, aside from that, that seems like that's it. So, uh, have a good one. You too. <laughs>